Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written word. In this episode, we visit with Chris Fabry, award-winning and Christie Hall of Fame author of A Piece of the Moon, a novel inspired by a real-life treasure hunt. Eccentric millionaire Gideon Quidley feels compelled by God to hide his immense fortune in the hills of West Virginia. As he does, he leaves only a few choice Bible verses as clues to where the fortune is hidden. Treasure hunters and locals alike begin hunting for the treasure, but some will find where a true treasure lies. Publishers Week called the book a powerful story of faith and the material things people hold dear. This is Favory's best yet. And the Scott County Library Journal had this to say about the book. The rural South comes to life with themes of forgiveness and second chances as highlights. The characters both deeply flawed and immensely relatable, making this another hit for Favory. My name is Landis Wade, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here with us today. You can find out more about me at my author website, LandisWade.com, and I'd love to have you visit. For all things related to the podcast, check out CharlotteReadersPodcast.com. You can find a lot of great resources there. We have show notes of every episode with pictures of the authors, photographs of their book covers, links to their websites and social media, and more. And we have the community blog there. It's a collection of readerly and writerly content provided by writers in the community and authors who've been on the show. And you can sign up for the book report at our website, charlottereadspodcast.com. We send it out every two weeks. It's free. We don't spam you. That takes way too much time. We just keep you updated on what's going on with the podcast, provide a dose of inspiration, provide some free content from time to time, some links and other fun stuff related to the uh, reading and writing world. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a collection of author-hosted podcasts putting out uh, this kind of content to a worldwide audience. And you can find us pretty much anywhere you like to listen to your podcast. You can also check out our Patreon page. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is a place where we provide exclusive content uh, for our supporters. For just a few dollars a month, we provide access to exclusive audio interviews between me and authors who have appeared on the show where they share their wisdom about uh, writing and the business of writing. It's a great way to get a good education if you're a lifelong learner like I am. But enough with this prologue. Let's meet today's author. Chris, welcome to the show. Great to be with you today. I I, uh, I listen to those words. It's like, wow, those are pretty good <laughs> words about a song. Yeah, it, 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 it is nice. And, and, and I have to say, I, re- I really did enjoy the book. I had, had a lot of fun with it. Well, thank you. I, I, anybody who reads my stories, I was just thinking today, these, these stories that kind of bubble up in my soul really are there, you know, they are implanted there and they, until they get out into the world, I, you know, there's something that's going on inside. So this one has, I've listened, I've thought about this one for more than 40 years because of things that have happened in my life. And I'm, I'm glad it's finally out there. Yeah. And, and for our listeners, it's, it's interesting. We can't see each other 
right now. Uh, normally, I'm either in the studio or I'm on Squadcast where we can see the guests. But uh, I was thinking about that, and I was going to save this for later, but it, I'm going to go ahead and jump into it now. It's kind of like being on radio, maybe in the middle of the night, when that voice comes in on the phone line. And, it's, and, and, and so let's kind of segue there, because in your book here, uh, you feature a radio station. It's Country 16, and I love the tagline. It's the best country in the country. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first little country station that I ever worked at. You know, when I was a teenager, of a distributive education teacher said, hey, how would you like to work at a radio station? And I didn't have a, you know, great designs to be in radio. I had a squeaky voice, you know, I hadn't changed yet. And, uh, and I said, sure, you know, that, that sounds like a, a fun idea. And it was fun, but I learned so much from the people and the processes that go through. Um, there's a there's a famous you mentioned though not being able to see each other back then. And this story takes place in 1981. Back then, you didn't know what people on the radio looked like. Mm. <laughs> you would, you know, I, I heard Larry King. You know, Larry King overnight, Chicago. Hello. And, uh, and I was wondering what he looked like. I never knew what he looked like until he had a column in USA Today and I saw his picture. Um, and it's like, that's not Larry King. Cause I had an, a, envisioned something in my head about what he would look like in his voice. And that's the thing about radio. It is the theater of the mind. And so that we can't see each other right now and you can't see me moving my hands. It doesn't detract from the communication because it's all in the voice. It's all in the inflection. It's all in the words. And that's what happens at, uh, at country 16, up, uh, mm. this little hill in West Virginia. Yeah. It's kind of like that scene in American graffiti when they finally figured out who Wolfman Jack was. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, uh, so, so there's a, there's a character in the book called the kid. He's a young, a young boy who comes to work uh, at the station. Wait Evers, who is the, the guy who offers second chances to everyone is sort of running the station. He takes the kid under his wing. Were you the kid when you worked at uh, your country yeah. music station? Yeah, I was. And, you know, the the kid has, his name is Clay. He has a stutter too. And that's another thing. When the woman who's taking care of the kid brings him over there, weight reveals, I had a stutter when I was a kid. So in a, in a sense, the, the weight, I am weight and I am the kid as well. And I'm kind of, you know, walking through all of that angst that I walk through as a, as a young person, but yeah, you know, and, and getting into the, the fear, I had a deathly of a deep fear of turning on the microphone and actually talking and I remember when the fellow who was training me who said, you know, here, read this news or read this copyright here. And it was, was on live. And you, you press the, uh, you turn the toggle switch to P for program and you turn up the pot, the potentiometer. You turn it up on this old Gates board. And as the song is ending, you have to speak. And you hear your own voice for the first time live on the radio. And it's like, oh, I don't, I don't. I don't want to feel this feeling that I've, but it's almost like jumping off a cliff. Once somebody has pushed you, then you start feeling the wind underneath you and you start getting more comfortable with it. So now when I turn the microphone on, 
you know, it's second nature. It's like breathing to me. I don't, I don't worry about it because I've done it long enough that there's a comfort there. But boy, that first time that that thing, that toggle switch went, it was frightening. Well, you do a great job of taking us into the scene of the small town radio station. You can tell that you've, you've had some experience there. So for the listeners, a little bit about you. You're coming to us from Arizona. You're an award-winning author. You've Christie Award Hall of Fame winner at least five times. That's the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association. You're a radio host. You've got several national uh, radio shows that you, you're involved in. Father of nine children. You've published more than 70 other books. And, and so my question is, Chris, how, how, do you, how do you do all that? Yeah, how do you have time? Yeah. Right. Pro- prolific. You know, I always, my, my stock joke is with nine kids, they're hungry. So I got to stay busy. <laughs> I write a lot of books. I think a piece of the moon is like my 83rd book. Um, I had a real desire to write early on and a fellow named Jerry Jenkins was my friend at, at Moody. We worked at Moody together in Chicago and he said, I, I can help you with this if you want. And so that started me on a trajectory. I wrote 55 children's books with Jerry and some of those with Jerry and Dr. Tim LaHaye, the the Left Behind Kids series that we worked on together. So the, you know, I I got on this treadmill of, of writing and I just love it. And radio was something that was kind of moving away from. But what I have found is that writing and radio, it's the same thing. It's the same discipline. It's just on radio, I'm opening my mouth and I'm writing in my head. You know, it's coming out words from my mouth. Whereas when I'm writing, I'm at the keyboard and it's coming out my fingers, you know, and I'm telling these stories. Mm-hmm. It, everything is is just a story. Everything is, our whole lives are stories. And so, you know, why have I been so prolific and, and why have I done all of these different things? The opportunities have just come along and I've said yes to as many of them as I can, knowing that you can, you know, you can spend your life doing and not being, you know, uh, and, and I can be a great writer if I really work at it hard enough, but be a terrible father and husband. So that there's a tension in that mm-hmm. and a tension of uh, pulling back sometimes and saying no and and really trying to get my life on a on a balance rather than weighted one side or the other. So the lesson here from Chris Faber is just say yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good. Uh, and just to tease out our listeners here, we're going to, uh, g- given the fact that he's written over 70 books, we're going to, when we jump over to Patreon after this episode's over, we're going to, we're going to do something that uh, is near and dear to Chris's heart. He's got a little thing called, Hey, You Can Write. And we're going to talk about that on Patreon. But before we do, Chris, I've got a question about uh, Christian fiction for a minute. You mentioned, uh, you know, the Left Behind series, the kids series. I haven't read the kids series, but years ago, I read the entire Left Behind series. I started, I picked up the first one. I just got hooked on it. And I have to tell you, it wasn't because I was necessarily looking for any religious answers. It was because it was it had interesting characters and it was a good story. And, you know, what better way than to take Revelation and turn it into like 16 books, right? right so, exactly. so 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 talk about that a minute. How much of, um, you know, Christian fiction is, you know, how do you balance the religion with the good storytelling and what makes a good Christian fiction book? I, I don't like the term Christian fiction. I know okay. why it's there, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I go back to... Um, 
Cal Thomas who said, you can't, you know, their schools aren't Christian, books aren't Christian, mm. people are, only people can be. Mm. And uh, I think that when you put that Im- imprimatur or imp- however you say that word over, when you put the stamp Christian fiction on there, what it does is it makes you think, oh, here's an agenda. Somebody's got an agenda and they mm-hmm. want to, well, you know, when I read John Irving, I I see an agenda there, but John Irving knows how to get into the, down deep into the interior of a character and make us care about him or her and bring us through to the end of the story with, yeah, you know, a, a, a point of view that he wants people to be exposed to, but you are richer for the trip because it feels real. Let me give you an example of this. I wrote a book called June Bug, and it's about a little girl who rides around in the, the country with her dad in an RV, and they park in Walmart parking lots. And one day she walks into Walmart, she looks up on the missing children poster of corkboard and she sees herself. So that is the first page. And at that point, she's wondering, and so is the reader, who am who is she? You know, who am I? Who is he who's driving around? Is he really my dad? Uh, and and the rest of the book answers those questions. Mm-hmm. And I had a uh, my son was playing uh, little league at the time, and the lady who uh, did all the triage when they'd skin their knees or you know slide in too hard wh- came up to me and she said, "I'm an atheist, and I heard that you wrote books, and I picked up Junebug, and I thought, oh boy, what are we <laughs> what are we going to get here?" And she said, I don't agree with, you know, Christianity. I don't believe that there's a God. Uh, But the way that you told that story allowed me to see through her life what she believed. And you didn't beat me over. But basically, this is not verbatim, but you didn't beat me over the head with the message. You just let me ride along in that RV with her and that and that other fella, uh, John, and and you just let me be a part of that. And, and I, I really, I, I got to the end of it. It was like, this was a really good story. Mm. So at my, uh, the bottom line here, I, yeah, I come from a perspective where I want everybody to know about Jesus and what he's done for me. But more than that, I want to tell you a story that draws you in, that drags you in kicking and screaming, that makes you want to get to the end of it and see what these people that have been, you know, in my head for so long, see what makes them tick. Uh, Mm -hmm. Part of this, part of the uh, weakness of Christian fiction, and and I'll say in in my books, has been the inability to show the the warp and woof of life, the the negatives, the the sin, you know, the struggles Mm -hmm. to the depth you know, it's almost like you have to wrap things up at the end, tie every bow and and into a knot, and it's got to look good in order for it to be Christian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I read the New Testament, I see a lot of struggle, a lot of division, a lot of fighting, a lot of persecution, a lot. You know, it's just mm-hmm. here's Paul in prison, and he's he wants his cloak because he's cold. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to write about. The struggle, yeah. the struggle of life is is the main thing. And that's really uh, sort of where I was headed with the idea, because a, a piece of the moon, I think, can resonate uh, with with any readers who like a good story. I mean, look, it's got it's got buried treasure, 
Yeah. It's got interesting characters and it's got a mystery, right? Right. And and all books have got a theme, an underlying theme. So let, before we have a reading here, let's let's talk about the inciting incident here. We got we got Robbie Gardner. He's a local pastor. He goes missing while rock climbing. He's been hunting for the treasure of Gideon Quidley. He's an eccentric millionaire who felt led by God to hide his immense fortune, gold, silver, cash, and I'm not going to reveal what else, in a custom-built ark and bury it in a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. And he only leaves Bible verses as clues to the treasure. So I know you get this question a lot, but talk about the what if for this uh, inciting incident. Well, f- the what if came from a uh, fellow named Forrest Fenn. Don't know if you've heard of him, but mm-hmm. and he hid a treasure in the Rocky Mountains. He wrote this long poem with clues in that, and then people just came out. His his MO was, I want to get people out into nature. I want them to breathe the clean air. I want them to be healthier and hike and all of that. And I thought, um, what would... What would happen? And I sent this idea to my editor. What would happen if an old guy, you know, has a lot of money, really believes that uh, God has told him that he needs to hide a treasure and get people to read the Bible? You know, this is the whole thing. If I get people to read the Bible, then you know they're going to uncover eternal treasure in the process. And uh, what happened with Forrest Fenn was there are people who went in the Rocky Mountains and it went climbing and at least one person fell to his death in that. And, and so I thought, well, what would happen in the hearts of people who go, you know, who go looking for this treasure? And what would happen to the if, if, if people in this little town think it's there, what would happen in their churches? And what, you know, would everything, would they all band together or would it be every man for himself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the inciting incident. And add to that, I don't know if you know the name Larry Burkett. Mm-hmm. Um, Larry was a friend of mine who used to come on my radio program a long time ago. He was kind of like a father to me. And Larry was given a moon rock by an astronaut, you know, Larry worked at NASA for a while mm-hmm. and uh, was there when Grissom, Chaffee, and White lost their lives. I mean, he was there at, at, the, at the space station when that happened. And so for his uh, work with NASA, this astronaut gave him a rock from the Sea of Tranquility. At least that's how the story goes. And I've done some digging about that and, you know, just did NASA come and get it and all that I'll leave that for your imagination. Yeah, but exactly. The the impetus for this was this old guy has, you know, worked at NASA and he had been given this. And so there is that thread of a piece of the moon that that he is holding. Add to that then an old country song that was written by a fellow named Max Strum, who lived in the little town. Uh, it's called Emmaus who lives in this little town of Emmaus when he's growing up. And he wrote that he's a one hit wonder. He wrote a song called a piece of the moon. And so that song, every time it plays on the radio, it gets a lot of response. And so the song and the, the Gideon Quidley thread runs all the way through there. Mm-hmm. You've got to figure out how do these things come together? Yeah, that's great. And, and you're, you've said it in, uh, Emmaus, West Virginia, too, um, which also appears in the Bible. So I'm gonna I'm, I'll leave that alone for a minute. So let's do this. Let's have an author reading. We're gonna have uh, this is early in the book. Uh, we're gonna meet uh, I think Wait uh, maybe here early in the book and uh, maybe Possum. Uh, I thought right. that was funny. You yeah. may, you've got <laughs> Possum is the nighttime DJ, nocturnal in nature, right? <laughs> well, they used to cause. Yeah, I was when I did the morning show on on the Real Country 16. 
I uh, had a sidekick named Tom, and it was Possum and Tom in the mornings. And I was, well, I was Possum. Uh, I'm not really sure why I wrote a song about a possum, you know, uh, walking across the road and getting hit by 18 wheeler. I, I, I don't know where that came from it, yeah. when I was a kid. But yeah, this is uh, Edgar William Wilson, who works the overnights, and then Wait is on his way in. All right, anytime you're ready. And then Wait and TD will be along here on Country 16, the farm report and all the news you need, and some you might not. Their jokes are corny and their breath is stale, but we know why you're here, and that's for the best country in the country. The DJ's na- real name was Edgar William Wilson, but everybody called him Possum. That was partly because he only came out at night, but also because he ate everything he could get his hands on. When the FM had been approved at 120 watts, Wait had gone looking for someone to host overnight, and Possum had just been let go from a station in Beckley. In fact, just about everybody who worked at Country 16 had been let go from somewhere. They were a revolving door of misfits and cast-offs, a radio goodwill, and Wait liked that because he thought everybody deserved a second chance. Let me take one more call before we wrap up, Possum said. He had a high-pitched, squeaky voice, definitely not the deep golden pipes you were supposed to have to succeed in radio. But Waite knew there was more to a man. A voice was like a good song. One could take you far, but it couldn't keep you there. Possum had personality. He had a peculiar view of life, and there was a bit of the philosopher in him, even if he did sound like a clucking chicken when he laughed. Wait rolled his eyes when he heard the caller, Sally, from Lick Creek. Everybody at the station referred to her as Psycho Sally because she talked fast and her words were always two turns ahead of her brain catching up. I just got up from a dream I had about getting Quidley's treasure, and I wonder if anybody has thought about the possibility it could have been abducted by aliens. Did you hear the report of those strange lights over the high-tension wires near the interstate? She talked like a machine gun with endless rounds of ammo. She'll keep going till the sun comes up, Waite muttered. Somehow, Possum wedged himself into the salvo. Well, I don't believe I've heard that theory floated yet. In fact, I haven't heard many people who are still talking about the treasure other than Waite, so we'll get him to address it for you, Sally. Waite quickly flipped to the AM band and hit the button for 780. WBBM out of Chicago was all news and he could hear it at this time of the morning and catch up with national and world events. He'd once had designs on working in a big city, but life had a way of changing desires. Headlights swung away from Country 16, and he recognized the rumble of the newspaper delivery guy. You could hear Kelvin Purdy's muffler two counties away. Wait waved as he passed, then again hit the button for Country 16 and nearly drove into the ditch. He heard the familiar finger-pick of the six-string, the plaintive sound of steel guitar and mandolin chuck, a simple tune with simple words that stuck to the wall of his heart. All my life I've waited for you. All my dreams are yours. The chorus always got him. Funny how grooves in an old record could bring back the pain. Words and chords and memories. 
That's great, Chris. I tell you what, you could add uh, to your, you know, to your resume or actually start doing some some narrating too, if you like. <laughs> that, was, that was really good. That's your experience in radio coming out. And, and one of the things here that you know I like, in addition to just the way you you, you immediately connect to these characters, um, you also add humor. You did it with Possum, uh, but you know, there's a character in here named Pidge, and and uh, sh- uh, just she says in one scene. Divorce was a word Pidge swore she'd never use, but Dud expanded her vocabulary. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I and just love right there. I mean, and I'm wondering. And then there's this one. This there's Ardell Bellwether, and I can just see this. Says a few minutes later, Ardell Bellwether burst into the station, snuffed out a pall mell and the glass ashtray on her desk before making a beeline to the control room. Ardell had short red hair and walked like she was on her way to cash a winning lottery ticket. She wore tight polyester that swished with every step, and TD cautioned that one day she'd catch on fire. <laughs> I mean, where, where do you come up? With, where do you come up with this stuff? You know, is it does it happen while you're writing? Uh, mm-hmm. Is it just your years of experience of reading and writing and talking that these things are in your subconscious, or what? I think so. I think there is a you know they talk about the fictive dream that if you are in in the uh the writing of this it's it it becomes less about the writing and more about just observing the things and kind of closing your eyes i mean i can close my eyes right now and i can see the control room the the board and all of the pictures on the on the wall with the sound tiles that were there and then through the the big window is the the transmitter on on in front making all that noise through the big door. And then to the left, I can see Ardell, you know, and, and that's a composite of the different ladies yeah. who worked in the front. You know, I can see that and I can see back to my uh, my manager's office, to Sieb's office back there with the door closed. Uh, you know, it's and then it's uh, the other things that come up. It's like the spiders, that building, this little prefab metal building that's, I think, a police station now. Um is was filled with spiders. There were spiders everywhere, big as your hand, you know, and uh, and just the the minutia of that and the the sounds and the smells. Back then, in uh, in the late seventies, early eighties, if you smoked, you smoked anywhere you wanted to. Mm-hmm. You smoked on airplanes, mm-hmm. and the ashtray was when I got there. And I'm I'm not a smoker. The ashtray when I got there was always full, and just. Uh, the the air was just filled with this acrid smoke smell. So, you know, the the sights, the sounds, the smells, the the memories of all that. When you let that kind of permeate your soul, it will come out somehow. That's great. And, and I have to say, you almost uh, ruined my marriage that night because I read it in an evening, uh, and my wife's sitting over there reading a book, and I'd stop about every three minutes. And say, hey, so listen to this. She goes, she goes, look, I'm reading my book. You read your book. <laughs> yeah, that's good. But, but, you know, and there's another character here that says she wore enough lipstick to paint double lines on a country road and the ozone layer had taken a hit from her hairspray. And I'm thinking, that's classic. Um, but then the, the imagery, you take it further. There's this scene uh, with, with Pidge uh, and TD. And for the listeners, TD is sort of a, you know, he's he's having to work to, to make his way and, and Waits trying to take him under his wing, but they don't have enough room to hire him on as an, uh, as an extra DJ, and he's in love with Pidge, but he's not sure yet. Uh, she's certainly not sure yet because of her problems with Dud. And so anyway, there's a scene that says, he says, well, what would it take, Pidge? 
What do you mean? What, what would it take for you to give me a chance at your heart? He left the words float there between them, and he made a promise that he wouldn't say another thing until she spoke. He'd let what he said be that thing he said to her in his life until she answered. Pidge looked at the sky as if she were making an inventory of the stars, and finally she spoke. How about you bring me a piece of the moon? <laughs> and that that little scene, you know, as touching as it is, just comes back at the end of the book. And I'm not going to tell any of the listeners. I got to go pick this book up and read it. It won't take you long, listeners. You can do it to 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 listen to that. But uh, you know, there are a lot of things in this book, Chris, that get layered in over time. And I'm wondering, um, you know, maybe before we get to that, just talk about themes for a second. Mm. Second chances is a big is a big deal for you and your books and redemption and forgiveness. Can you speak to the importance of that uh, and and how you you layer that in this book. Well, you you mentioned we read about weight, you know, and how he loved to give other people second chances. What you don't realize is that weight himself needs a second chance. And I don't think he even realizes it as he's doing, he's kind of subconsciously doing this for others, what he needs himself. Uh Pidge is, you know, she feels like there's a there's another uh scene or image that, that kind of runs through the book and it's this pigeon that has uh, <laughs> flown and hit the guy wire at the station and swirled down and Pidge sees this. She sees it all happening. And when she looks at the pigeon, she sees herself. She sees all the bad choices that she's made, the struggles that she has in her life. And instead of her dad tells her just, you know, get rid of the thing, kill it. Uh, she picks it up, cradles it and brings it in and this becomes the, you know, the bird, the, the little albatross that she she has in her life that reminds her of who she is. And she gives it a second chance. And really, the, the pigeon is the one who kind of gives life to her in a way. And it becomes her why they, mm. they call her Pidge. Mm. So, yeah, second chances are huge. Everybody who comes and, and this mirrors the station where I work, the station where I work, Country 16, was the, the bottom of the barrel. And if you worked in another uh, area, another you know bigger town, and you fell, you made some kind of mistake on the air, or you got arrested for one thing or another, and they fired you, there is only you know that this was the last chance on the way down. If you couldn't get a job at Country Sixteen, you you had to give up. But the thing that happened to me then, as a teenager, is I got to meet a lot of really talented people who had made some mistakes in their life who came in and kind of showed me things that I I didn't know. I didn't know how to do. And to the extent that I listened to them, I, I you know, I had a lot of pride at the time and not a whole lot of humility. <laughs> but mm -hmm. to the extent that they modeled for me, you know, this is how you, this is how you're on the air. This is how you make the sound of the station flow rather than to be choppy and one song to the next song that's, you know, has space in between it, you make it all sound like a river flowing. That's mm -hmm. what you're going for, you know, get to give the vision of the sound. So those people who needed the second chance that my manager, Sieb, I, I uh, dedicate the book to him, that, that he did, he gave them, leaked over into my life. So mm -hmm. that's, that's a huge part of what the story is about. Yeah, that's great. When I read this line, uh, the one you read a moment ago, that everybody who worked at Country 16 had been let go from somewhere, what popped into my mind was that scene in Brother Where Art Thou? I don't know if you saw it, but George Clooney 
is asking the the proprietor at the local hardware store about getting some Dapper Dan, and they don't have any on hand. And he says, it'll take about two weeks. And he asked for another one. He says, that'll take about two weeks. He says, well, he said, that's the darnest thing I've ever heard of. You're two weeks from everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, similar, similar in vain. But um, so of all these characters, which were very, uh, you know, I I really enjoyed all of them. Was there one more than the other that you felt closest to? Mm. I think, you know, I think at first it was weight. And uh, he has this program that he does, you know, they're playing all this uh, drinking and sinning songs all through the week. And then on Sundays, he has a program called Wait, W-A-I-T-E, On the Lord. And uh, what he says is that most people didn't hear the comma, (laughs) wait, comma, on the Lord. Uh, So he plays, you know, the the Statler Brothers and the Oak Ridge Boys when they were gospel uh, Mm -hmm. singers and plays some of those songs. So I, I really, you know, I struggled when I was a kid as a Christian to be playing those those kinds of songs, you know, take this job and shove it and all that, uh, when I really believed the truth of the of the gospel. So Wait was one that it was like, he's got to struggle being there, but he, ha- he feels this real sense of God has placed me in this place to make a difference, and I want to do that. Uh, but I, you know, I keep coming back to TD. TD is a... Uh, a tow truck driver, basically, and he wants to be in radio, but there's no place for him. And so there is this longing, there is this this desire, and there's the desire for Pidge's heart, as you just referenced. And I think we all have this. Uh, and if I could, let me tell you just a little story of something that happened sure. to my daughter. Yep. Uh, and this is what I, I, I think I latch on to TD. And uh, she was working at this place that, uh, you know, have the trampolines, the kids come in and they jump around for an hour and, and you pay and you leave and you hope nobody gets hurt. Uh, well, there was a father that came up to her. She was going to community college at the time. A father came up to her and he was upset because he had put some money in a vending machine. And it didn't come back and he was he wanted it back and she couldn't give it to him. And she was trying to placate and all of that. And he looked at her because she didn't do what she wanted him to do. And and he said, this is all you'll ever do. Meaning you'll never get above, you know, working at a trampoline place, which to my view, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. You know, there's no driving a truck or being a surgeon. it, It doesn't really matter, you know, just whatever you do. But it was meant as this cutting, biting thing you're never going to get past this. You're never going to do anything more with your life than this. And she came home and she told us that. And I use that when TD is standing there and the the great, you know, kind of the character who owns everything, who knows everything, who controls everybody in town comes in. He looks at him and he says, being a tow truck driver with his dirty fingernails and hands, this is all you'll ever do. This is all you'll ever be as a tow truck driver. Mm-hmm. And TD has to look at that. It is, in a sense, it is calling something from him. Who do you think you are? Who, who are you going to be in your life? Are you just going to be who somebody else thinks you're going to be? Or are, are you going to jump on the treadmill and do as much as you can to prove to everybody, you know, uh, or is there something bigger that's going on? Is, mm-hmm. is your identity, does it come from somewhere else than 
what other people think about you or even what you think about yourself. So I think maybe TD for me, uh, I identify most with him. Yeah, it was interesting as, as you're talking there, I'm, li- I'm, I'm remembering this scene and I found it in the book that uh, TD and Wade are talking and you know, TD is uh, kind of shaking his head because he can't figure out, you know, what to do with, uh, with Pidge. And he, and he says, uh, you know, under his breath, I just, I don't think I'll ever understand women. And then Wade chuckled. What are you laughing about? Every song we play agrees with you. <laughs> so that goes back to your point about what what kind of music ends up on country stations and how they totally relate to everyday life. Yeah. Yes, exactly. uh, so just a uh, real quick couple of questions before we jump over to Patreon. I usually do a few writing life questions here before we talk deeper on uh, on Patreon. And uh, with, with yours, uh, we could go on forever. But, uh, you know, I've asked this question sometimes of authors who've written a few books or just a few stories, but you've written over you know, 70 books, uh, 83, I think you said. And uh, so, so it's, a, it's a short question, but there's probably, you know, a, 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 an important answer here. Why do you write, Chris? Hmm. I was just listening to Pat Conroy read My Reading Life, and there's one of the chapters in there. It's It's really fun to hear his voice, hear him interpret his words. And a bookseller uh, rep for the publisher took him on a, an odyssey to show him how he sold books. And he asked that same question in firelight one night, you know, why do you write? And Pat said, because something like, because I want my voice to be heard and I want to, I want it to, to linger, you know, I want my words to stay, um, and, and make a difference, you know, make a dent in the universe. Um, and I thought about as I was listening, I thought, why do you, why do you write? What is the impetus? And I think it has become, I can't not do it. Mm. I can't not allow the stories that, that energize me. I can't keep them from the page, no matter what happens with them. Uh, when I read To Kill a Mockingbird when I was a kid, I have a seventh grade teacher, Mrs. D. Wilson, who gave a list of books over the summer, you know, try to read these. And I said, I said, how about this one? I've seen this movie, To Kill a Mockingbird. She said, yeah, I think you're ready for that. And I remember reading To Kill a Mockingbird that summer. And it, I, I didn't read To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird read me because I was there with Scout and Jim and the treehouse when Dill comes by. I can see him down there. And the, the, the film, Horton Foote's you know, uh, script for that was just fantastic. I could see those images that were given to me. But in the book, I read, I read my own life. I read, I read, I was Scout, you know, looking at all the things that happened in her little town. And I didn't realize it at the time, but from then on, I wanted to do in somebody else's life what Harper Lee had done in mine. I wanted to get to the depth of that and to touch that nerve. And wouldn't that be great to be able to do that? And it took me a long time to realize that that was what I wanted to do. But I think that's why I write. That's great. And then, and then one more question here. Um, and you're going to have to think back a long time for this one because the question has to do with what you would tell – your younger writing self based on things that you've learned since then that, uh, that might help that younger writer. I, I think I've thought about that a lot. Um, 
because at the beginning, I just wanted to be published. I didn't know this. You know, I, I, I thought what I just said was what my, my mm. MO was. But what I really wanted was a book with my name on the spine of it that I could say, hey, here it is. This is, mm. this is something that I've done, uh, that I've spoken into the universe. Uh, look at me, look at me. <laughs> and I would say to myself, don't focus on, on publication. Focus on writing well and writing deeper and writing what you want to write, what, writing what you've been called to write. And I think there is a sense of calling on a, on a writer's life that you can step into. And so I would, I would say that to myself. Write the stories that you want to write and not the ones that you think will get published. That's a great segue to uh, uh, for our listeners what we're going to do next on uh, Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. Uh, if you're not if you're not there yet, come join us. Just a few bucks a month, we uh, we dive deeper with our with our authors. It helps support the podcast. We're going to have a great time because we're going to talk about this topic. Hey, you can write, and uh, Chris is going to tell us where that came from, how it got started. We're going to talk about some of the things that uh, I'm going to pick his brain a little bit based on his. 83 book experience. Uh, so Chris, thanks so much uh, for being on this episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast. My pleasure, Landis. Thanks for your questions. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.